0: Well, good afternoon to those who are here and those who are joining us uh, together on the live stream. Um, I want to say happy Easter and a happy Resurrection Sunday, and I hope you're doing well uh, wherever you are. But um, if you're able and you have your Bibles handy or you have your bulletin with you, would you join with me in looking at John chapter 13? Our text for today comes from John chapter 13, and we'll be beginning In verse number 21. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21, and we'll be reading until the end of verse 30. There it says, after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come here to your word, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that you would remind us today of the suffering that Christ went through for us. Lord, as we think of the resurrection today, Lord, let us remember what comes before it, Lord, the suffering of Christ that makes the resurrection so much more Glorious and beautiful. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us, that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be softened and ready to receive what you have for us today, Lord. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you were young, I wonder how you made friends. Maybe you found people who had similar interests with you. Or maybe you were simply in the same place. Maybe you were in the same classroom or maybe you were in the same church, and you ended up becoming friends. But how did you become friends with Christ? How did you become friends with God? Things were probably much different, I think. Was it because of similar interests? Probably not. In fact, by nature, we hate the things that God loves. By nature, we are children of wrath. God loves righteousness. God loves the light. But us, while we have God's law written on our hearts, and while we know what is light, while we know what is righteous, so often we reject that. And so often we choose to go after darkness rather than light. So it wasn't out of similar interest that we, that we became friends with God. What about situation? Were we in the same area together? Maybe us and God were in the same place and we just eventually became friends. No, we know that can't be true either. In fact, because of our sin and because of God's holiness, we could not be in the same place together. It was not simply out of coincidence or gathering that we became friends with God. Something else had to bring us to communion with the Lord. You see, often when we think about making friends, we don't think about suffering as being the way that that happens. But it was through suffering that we became friends with Christ. And as we look at this passage together and we see the suffering that Christ went through, I want us to look at this in two different ways. I want us to see, first, the pain of the betrayal, and I want us to see, second, the purpose of the betrayal. So as we look at this passage, describing for us the betrayal of Judas, one of the friends of Jesus, I want us to see first the pain of this betrayal. Look again with me at verse 21. It says, After these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now the betrayal is so painful because it is the betrayal of a friend. And as we look at this passage, I want us to remember something, that this is real suffering. This sorrow that Christ feels from the betrayal of Judas was true suffering. You see, so often when we think of Christ and we think of Jesus being God and man, I think sometimes we To truly recognize his humanity, I think we ought to confess that Christ is both God and man, but in a way, we almost put his deity above his humanity to where it makes his humanity almost not human. In the sense that we say, sure, Christ suffered like a man, but he was also God, so it changes that suffering. But we know from Scripture. That that's not true. You see, the incarnation is when God did not pretend to be a man. The incarnation is when the Son of God truly became a man. You see, when this friend of Christ, when he betrayed him, it actually hurt his feelings. It actually caused suffering on Christ. It was painful. It was truly painful the suffering that we would feel when one of our friends betrays us. In this scene, we see Jesus here giving a piece of bread to Judas, and it calls back what we read earlier in Psalm 41. If you see there in that psalm that we had in our scripture reading, it says, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, of course, Jesus knew the heart of Judas. He knew that behind the words of Judas, there was a hypocrisy. But it doesn't change the fact that this was a trusted member of the group. In fact, when Judas first joined them, we may even have every reason to believe that he was sincere in what he was doing. This was someone who laughed along with everyone. This is someone who cried along with everyone. This was someone who carried the burdens and the suffering with the group as they were rejected by others. When there was large crowds following Jesus and many of those crowds left, Judas stuck around. When the other disciples probably mourned the fact that people were leaving them and they weren't joining them on their mission, they probably looked at Judas and said, thanks for sticking around with us. It's just us now. See, Judas was there through all of the ridicule and all of the horrible things that had happened to them up until this point. You see, oftentimes when we think about the hypocrisy of Judas, we think that he was obedient to other people's eyes, but he was disobedient and secret. But can I share with you also that there was an even deeper level of hypocrisy here. You see, it's interesting that we often mention that the other disciples didn't suspect Judas. We say that when Jesus says, one of you will betray betray me, we often think about how Judas seemed to be a righteous guy to the others. He was trusted, he carried the money. It wasn't suspected that Judas would do this horrible thing. But you see, it's also suspected, or it wasn't suspected, that Judas felt this way towards Jesus either. You see, not only did Judas appear to do all the right things, Judas also appeared to feel all the right things as well. They didn't look around and say, oh, I bet it's Judas. He's not that great of a guy. But they also didn't look around and say, oh, you know what? I think it might be Judas. He seems to be a good guy. He does all these right things, and he knows what's right, and he knows what's wrong. But, you know, between him and Jesus, there's always this bad blood. It just seems like they're not that close. I mean, we feel close to Jesus, but it seems like Judas is kind of off on his own. No, none of them thought that way. In fact, from what they could see, Judas loved Jesus just as much as they did. From what they could see, when Jesus cried, Judas was there with a shoulder to offer. When Jesus was hurt and suffering, Judas seemed to be there as a loving friend whom Jesus could depend on. They had no idea that there was a much deeper level of hypocrisy. Not just someone who breaks the law in secret, but someone who breaks the heart of God in secret. Someone who professes to love but in reality hates. And so we look at ourselves and we think about the hypocrisy that often lies beneath us. There's the obvious level of, of there's the obvious level of hypocrisy, one that obeys God's law in front of others but disobeys in secret, but on a much deeper level, there's a much worse sort of hypocrisy. One that confesses to love Christ, one that sings praises to Christ and says, this is my God who I love, but in their hearts doesn't love him the way that they profess. You know, many of us are teachers, and when we think about hypocrisy in our students, imagine you're up in front of the class and the students are supposed to be reading. They're supposed to be studying. And you look into the back of the classroom and you see a student with their book out and it looks like they're doing what they're supposed to do. But then you walk by and you see that they're on their cell phone. Now that's annoying, isn't it? I mean, it's hypocritical. They're supposed to be studying, they're making it look like they're studying, but they're being hypocrites. They're actually on their phones. That's annoying, and it might hurt us in a way. But how much worse is it when there's a student who acts like you are their favorite teacher, and they tell you that they love you and that your classes are the best, but then eventually you find written on their desk, I hate so-and-so teacher. Or you hear from someone else that they don't really love you, they're just sucking up to you because they think that they can get something from you. Sure, it's annoying when they are hypocritical in the sense that they're doing what they shouldn't do while they're making it look like they're doing what they're supposed to do. But it's so much worse when they profess to love you, but in reality, they hate you. Now it pains the Lord when we sin and we fall but we recognize that he is always there for us when we come to him with heartfelt sorrow and repentance for our sins. You see, even if we sin in private, if our hearts are sorrowful sorrowful to the Lord when no one else sees, that reveals something. It reveals that we still love the Lord. If you have pain for your sin, even though no one else has seen it, and you bring that sin to the Lord, coming to him for forgiveness, saying, Lord, I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry for my sin. I know that that this is not what you want from me. I know that this hurts your heart to have your disciple sin against you. I know that this does something horrible to you. When we feel that way, it shows that we love the Lord. But if you're listening to this and you think about those times in private and you know that when you sin, you don't feel sorrow, when you sin against the Lord and it doesn't trouble you that you have hurt him, can I warn you that perhaps you have a much worse level of hypocrisy, not simply a hypocrisy of sinning in private, but Not loving the Lord truly as you confess. Now the atmosphere of this room, when we say these sorts of things, they become very painful, don't they? We see that in the betrayal of Christ, there is a pain that he feels, that one of his friends would betray him. But we see that even in this room, when they're talking about things of betrayal, and they're talking about things of hypocrisy, it makes everybody uncomfortable. Here at the supper, there's the pain of Jesus who's being betrayed by a friend, but there's also the pain amongst the friends as there's the possibility of betrayal being brought up. We see in verse 25, Jesus or John asks Jesus for Peter, Lord, who is it? They want to know who is this one who is going to betray. If we were to look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapters 26, Verses 21 and 22, there it says, And as they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And here it says, And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? Notice the sorrow all around. Betrayal in their midst. It brings sorrow to Christ, and it brings sorrow to his friends. Jesus is troubled. His disciples are troubled. But it's interesting that Jesus lets them wonder about themselves. You see, Jesus doesn't say to them, don't worry, the betrayer knows who he is. Instead, Jesus gives them a time of introspection. In fact, earlier, when we talked about betrayal and hypocrisy, we all started looking at our own hearts, didn't we? And we probably felt a lot like the disciples here, questioning, Lord, is it I? Could I betray you? You see, I'm sure these disciples, they started thinking to themselves, you know, there were times when I heard Jesus speak and, you know, I didn't like what he said, even though I nodded along with everyone else. Do you think he knows? Maybe he's talking about me. You know, there were times when we were walking through the crowds and there was that girl who passed and I looked at her and in my heart I lusted, do you think he knows? Maybe he's talking about me. Maybe I'm the one who's going to betray him. You know, there were times when people made fun of us and even though I pretended to be sad like Jesus, you know, in my heart I was angry and I hated them for what they said to us. Do you think he knows the way that I felt? At one point he said, that's as bad as murder. Maybe I'm the one to betray him because I know that it very well could be me. You see, every single one of these disciples had a time when they looked inside and they saw their own darkness. And when they saw their own darkness, there was a possibility that they could be the one who would betray Jesus. It wasn't foreign to them that it could be them. And I'm sure many of us feel this way as well. When we hear about hypocrisy, we look inside and we think, you know, I'm a hypocrite many times. There are many times when I say that I love the Lord and I say that I want to obey him, but if I'm being honest, in my heart there's a lot of darkness there. Christ wanted them to think that way. He wanted them to examine themselves. But he doesn't want us to stop there. You see, what do we do? Do we continue to ask, Lord, is it I? Are we to continue wondering, will I be lost? I don't believe so. You see, the pattern of the gospel is that while we examine ourselves and we see our darkness, that ought to drive us to look outside of ourselves, and see the promises of the gospel that Christ gives us. There was a Scottish minister named Thomas Chalmers, and he talked about this sort of introspection. He describes it as trying to make out objects in a dark room. Imagine if all the lights were turned off, if all of the shades on on the windows were shut, and we were trying to see what was inside the room, and we couldn't see very well, and our eyes were straining, and it was causing pain on our eyes, he says, what then should we do? Well, the answer is obvious. We should open the curtains. We should turn on the lights. And in a very similar way, he says that if we derive no good from the work of self-examination, because we find that all is confusion and darkness within, then let us go forth upon the truths which are without. And these will pour a flood of light into all the mazes and intricacies of the soul and at length render that work easy, which before was impracticable. In other words, we find comfort not by by continuously looking at our own darkness, but instead looking out in looking at the promises of the gospel. So what are these promises? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When you feel guilty, look to that promise and believe it. That is a promise that that calls you to stop looking at your sin, but instead to look at the forgiveness of Christ. There's Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. A few weeks ago, we saw in John chapter 6 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Yes, there are those like Judas who see and do not believe. But Jesus says that all who the Father give me will come to me in the greatest promise. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. As we sang earlier in the song Before the Throne, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what do we do? Upward I look. Upward I look. When you look in your heart and you see darkness, look up. We even see that as we worship in our liturgy. We see that when we have our time of confession, when we read God's law and we're convicted and we confess, what do we immediately do after that? We look to the assurance of God's grace. If we stay in our guilt, we are missing the gospel completely. The promises of Christ in the gospel... Are what separate us from Judas. You see, we are not less sinful than Judas. We are not more righteous than Judas. The difference is that while Judas goes out into the darkness, while Judas teams up with Satan to continue in his disobedience and unrepentance, we must instead look to the gospel, look to the forgiveness of Christ, and then we will be freed from this fear and pain of betrayal. You see, the betrayal that Christ suffers, it causes pain everywhere. It causes pain to Christ. The pain that one of his friends will betray him. Even the idea causes pain to us because we fear that we could be the one who betrays him. But the story does not stop here. Very soon after this, there's going to be a cross There's going to be a resurrection. And even the people who cried out, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our children. Peter will later tell them, repent, for the promise is to you and to your children. You see, though we sin and though we fall, and though we are often hypocrites, the gospel comes to us and it says, repent of your sin. The times of refreshing may come. Though betrayal causes pain, In the gospel, there is forgiveness and deliverance. And this leads us into the second aspect that I want us to see. Though there is pain in the betrayal, there is also purpose in this betrayal. Jesus is not going through this by accident. All the things that lead up to the cross, they're not accidental. Look again at verse 26. When asking who the betrayer will be, Jesus says, it is to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And again, this is a fulfillment of what we saw in Psalm 41. That psalm was written by David. And as David says, even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. Now we have Jesus, who in this pain is fulfilling his mission as the son of David. As Jesus looks around and he sees his friends, he knows that these men are only his friends because he will suffer for them. He knows that he can only eternally dwell in the presence of these sinful people if he bears their sins upon himself. If he takes their burdens to the cross, if he suffers in their place, then he can be with them forever. All of this pain and all of this suffering is for the purpose of reconciliation. He was going to gather a people to be together with him for all eternity. But in order to do that, he knew that he had to be betrayed, mocked, humiliated, and killed. Remember what Paul writes to us in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This passage, which especially speaks of Gentiles being brought into God's covenant people It reminds us of the pattern that that reconciliation has with it. It is only through the blood of Christ that anybody is brought near. It is only through his suffering and ultimately his death that we are brought to be together with the Lord. It is the mocking, the beating, the humiliating, and even the betrayal of a friend that brings us into the relationship with Jesus that we have. If Jesus didn't go through this pain, there would be no reconciliation. If Jesus was not betrayed by his friend, then we could not be his friends. If Jesus did not bear our sins on the cross, then we could not stand before our judge as children with him being our father. We saw this pointed to in our scripture reading. We've referenced it a few times, but if you're able would you look with me at that scripture reading and see everything that's going on in that psalm? As we think about today, the day that we celebrate the resurrection, notice how much the resurrection is pointed to in this psalm. We see there in Psalm uh, chapter 41, it says, what we've seen already in verse 9, even my close friend whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. But, lo- but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. The next verse, by this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. You see, when Christ goes through this suffering, in a sense, he's actually bringing his enemies towards him. He's calling on his enemies for battle. He is calling to have our sins laid upon him. He is calling for those around him, his friends, the Jewish leaders, the soldiers, even Satan who teams up together with Judas. He's bringing out his enemies to do battle with them. And as we saw in that psalm, notice what the enemies say. In verse 5, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? Well, what we know and what we celebrate today is that though Christ went to the grave, it did not hold him, but he was resurrected. And though his, though his enemies asked, When will his name perish? We know that it never has. And instead of perishing, his name has been proclaimed around all the world. But Jesus knows that in order for all of this amazing proclamation of the gospel, this amazing gathering together of his people, he must first go through pain. He must first go through the suffering of a friend betraying him and the enemy bringing him to a cross. And I'm sure many of us, too, have suffered similar difficulties. Not as difficult, absolutely, but when Christ suffers, he identifies with our suffering. You see, we, too, throughout our life suffer. We experience the betrayal of friends. I'm sure many of us listening, and many of us here, I don't know all of our histories of our family and friends, but I'm sure many of us we've had family members completely turn our backs on us. I'm sure there are some of us, maybe even many of us, who grew up with absent family members. Perhaps your father was not there. Perhaps your mother neglected you. Perhaps you had friends who seemed to be with you, but then they turned their backs. When things got difficult, they left you. That pains us, doesn't it? to have a relationship that feels so secure, to feel like it's sturdy and should always be there. When that breaks, it's as if a piece of us is being torn away from us. Can I tell you that your God experienced that suffering for you? You See, the Son of God became a man, and he walked through this life. All the pain that we experience the pain of family turning on him, the pain of friends going against him, professing to love him, but then selling him to his enemies, the pain of all of the burdens of the world being laid against him. This is the pain that Christ went through for you. But we know that it didn't end there, that he was resurrected. And can I tell you that just as we suffer with Christ, Just as we bear betrayal with Christ, and just as we will eventually die with Christ, we will also be resurrected with Christ. You see, Christ suffered all of these things for the purpose of reconciliation. He lost a friend to make us his friends. He knew what he would have to go through. But scripture says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. For us, he went through all of this pain. There is purpose behind it. Whenever you feel betrayed, remember that your God took that burden upon himself so that you could be brought near to him. In closing, let me ask that question that I asked at the beginning. How do you make friends? And especially, how did you become friends with Christ? We know that it wasn't out of similar interests. In fact, we are becoming more and more like Christ because Christ went to the cross and he took our sins and because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, our interests are being reshaped. We are beginning to love the light that Christ loves. We're beginning to hate the darkness that Christ hates. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are actually becoming more interested in the things of him. But that's not why we became his friends. It wasn't a similar place or a similar situation. We were once far away from the Lord. Our sin once removed us from his presence. But because he came to us and because he suffered, he has brought us close to him. And because he experienced this loss, we experienced so much gain in him. So then, church, as we hear these things, let us genuinely love him for the sacrifice that he has made. Not just being content to obey him, but obeying him out of love. Love that causes us to recognize that while we're not perfect and while we often fall, let us remember that he is always ready to reconcile himself to us. He is always ready to reconcile us to him. Let us remember that he was betrayed so that we could be brought near to him. Would you join me in prayer? Father, Lord, God, as we repent of our hypocrisy, Lord, when we say that we love you, but we betray that love, Father, I ask that you would continue to bless us with right sorrow that brings us to look to your gospel. Lord, I ask that as we look at this passage and we see the betrayal of Judas and as we think of ourselves, Lord, I ask that you would continue and continuously bring us to you in your gospel. Lord, that we would feel sorry not only for our sin, but for the failure to love you that underways that sin. God, I pray that you would call us to greater love for you. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of us as we go out from here, as we continue about our days. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you would continuously make us more like Christ and especially that you would grow our love towards you. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.